My name is Andrew, as most of you know, and uh, I am a pastor, as, as most of you know. Hello. <laughs> uh, I am of no name and no fame. There's nothing particularly special about me, and, and I'll tell you what, I prefer it that way when I look at the state of some church bodies around the globe in recent years. Um, and it's why Renew as a church, we want to steer right away from any kind of celebrity culture, any kind of putting anybody on a platform. We don't want anything like that. So I'm quite happy to be of no name and, and no fame. I love God with all of my heart, and I, and I love the church. And, you know, Renew... I just want to remind all of us this morning, Renew is, is really a, a word and spirit church. That's what we want for this church. And what I mean by that is that we want to be a church that is committed to biblical instruction, but also a church that is committed to the full expression of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so something that's very important for us uh, as a church, and, and that's why we set out to establish this church, was that we would give intelligent thought to our faith. That we really think about, you know, who God is. Why is God important? That, that we'd be open to the work of the Holy Spirit in and through our lives. And, and, and as, a, as followers of Jesus, it really is important that we, that we understand what we believe and why we believe it. What we believe and why we believe it. And so we want to be the kind of church where followers of Jesus can reframe or re, you know, have a rethink of their worldview, the way they see things. As the Holy Spirit leads them, because I believe that what the Holy Spirit's going to do in our lives is enlarge our perception of God and, and our understanding of the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel. And so when we come together as a community, when we come together to worship God and to express our praise and come to uh, put, give Him the glory, um, this is a, a time where, where we really can stretch our minds, uh, expand our hearts. Awaken ourselves up to God. Awaken ourselves to the, up to the people around us and, and, and see ourselves in this grand story of God. You might have this one little life, but God has put you here for a specific time, in a specific time, for a specific purpose. He has something for your life. He has something that He wants to do through you. I'm sure He's already doing it through most of your lives this morning. Um, but we find ourselves in this grand story and... and I think it's important sometimes that we open up our eyes to see just who God is and, and where we fit into the story. And I'm saying all of this this morning because I, I, I talk and I have spoken recently again to people who struggle to embrace God. <laughs> they struggle to embrace the Christian faith. And not only that, there are a whole bunch of folk who find it so difficult to remain devoted to Jesus because he calls for our full devotion, but they struggle with that. And I think a big hindrance for many is, is the area of suffering. You know, when, 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 when people suffer and it's unexplained or it's unjustified suffering, people, people like struggle in their faith. We, you know, I think we can all pretty much endure suffering if, we, you know, if we've been party to it, if we've been involved in something and we know like, oh, I'm going to have to, I deserve this. You know, I've, I, I know what's gone down here. I've been part of it. Um, it doesn't make the discomfort less painful. It, it's, it's still going to be uncomfortable. It might be painful. But, but we know that we've had a part in that suffering, and so it just maybe gives us a, the strength that we need to persevere and get through. But when suffering comes without warning, without cause, 
if that suffering just kind of sits, if it lingers, so often people begin to question God's goodness. Is God really a good God? In, in fact, a lot of people question, like, is there really a God? Does God even exist? And so that, that's, a, that's a big hindrance for a lot of people is this unexplained or unjustified suffering. The second reason why a lot of people abandon Christianity or give up on God is because of unanswered prayer. Unanswered prayer. You know, they, they ask God to help them. They pray to God, God, I need you. And, and that's legitimate concerns that they bring before the Lord. And, you know, they persist in humility. You know, God, I'm coming before you. They come before God in the confidence that God is both a good God and he is able to help them. But when there is no answer or the answer doesn't come, a lot of people just kind of give up. They can't seem to reconcile their minds to the existence of an all-powerful, all-loving God with the fact that what they're desperately asking of him just doesn't get answered, never appears. And so unanswered prayer for many people is, is again, in, in the area of their faith and their walk with Christ is, 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 is difficult. And I'm sure there are many other reasons why people sometimes will walk away from God or abandon God or sometimes people never even consider the Christian faith. They don't even, like, I'm not even going there. But there's another challenge that we also often face. And I don't think it necessarily causes people to abandon their commitment to God because of it. But it does bring a whole lot of confusion and a whole lot of anguish to many people. And what I'm talking about here are those occasions when the answer to a frequently asked prayer, you're like, God, I need you to, God, you know, this, this is the thing. You know, you, and you bring that before God in, in humility, trusting Him, believing Him. But when you, when you pray that prayer or you make that request of God, um, God answers you, but it turns out to be, quite a difficult thing to accept, quite a difficult thing to embrace. Like, really, God, that's the way you're answering this prayer? I'd prefer that you said nothing at all. Really, that's your answer? And, and, and a lot of people struggle with this. Like, I, I can't believe that that's the way, you know, is God's <laughs> going to go about this. There's no better illustration of this than, than the experience of the prophet Habakkuk. And I started this last week. I'm going to close it off today, but... I want, to, I want to just remind you quickly of what we looked at last week. Habakkuk lived in the, um, in the, the late 7th and early 6th century BC. Uh, I spoke last week about the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. The, 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 the tribes had split, and so it was the tribe of Judah and, and, um, and, uh, and Benjamin that made up the southern kingdom in the sixth, uh, 7th and 6th century. Uh, they were the northern... Uh, kingdom had pretty much been the Syrians had come in, people had gone after other gods, the, the covenant people of God had, had pretty much left God. And so the remaining people who had turned to God, who had, had kind of had some acknowledgement of God, the, these covenant people of God here in the southern kingdom um, had got a little broken. In fact, maybe majorly broken because they had got themselves immersed in wickedness and depravity and idolatry and immorality. And Hezekiah, who had been a really great king, a really God-fearing, God-serving king, uh, he had passed and his son Manasseh, we saw, had become king. And he turned out to be the most wicked and depraved king that Judah had ever seen. But as we saw last week, he eventually repented of his ways. And that's, again, to me, just a great reminder that it's never, ever too late to turn back to God. Never. doesn't matter what might have gone down in your life. 
doesn't matter how depraved you, know, you might have been or how disastrous your life has been up, up to that point. But God's grace and His mercy is always new. And it's always available to anyone to turn back and acknowledge Him and, and embrace Him. And, and I, I love that picture. But the thing about Manasseh having this late-in-life repentance was that it wasn't sufficient to undo the damage that he had inflicted on that nation. It wasn't, you see, I think sometimes people think this is, uh, this is of God. They think they turn to God and they see God as a magic genie. And God's going to bring out his wand. Abracadabra, it's all going to be all right. And what we see here in Manasseh's life is that it isn't. God embraces Manasseh, he forgives him, but it's not enough to undo the damage that's been done. So the judgment of God is inevitable. And it really, it took the form of 70 years of taking God's people into captivity to Babylon for 70 years. And I think Habakkuk, if you read Habakkuk, you'll see that he, he, probably, he would probably agree. It's, we deserve this. This judgment was warranted. He knew how bad things had become in Judah. He, he knew that God had to do something. He was looking around. We're not talking about people who didn't know God. We're talking about the supposed people of God. And, and Habakkuk said... God, in fact, Habakkuk pleaded with God, do something, intervene. You know, there's this wickedness, this pervasive idolatry, this turning away from you in the land, do something. But Habakkuk didn't get an answer from God for, for quite a while. In fact, he, I think, got to the point where he was wondering if God was actually going to answer, answer his prayer. But the greatest struggle that he had, the greatest struggle that he had to endure was when God finally did answer him. And God answers Habakkuk, and the answer turns out to be unbelievable, indescribably unbelievable. <laughs> Maybe you've experienced this. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. Maybe you've asked God to uh, step into your circumstances. You've said, God, I need you. Would you do this? Would you make things right? God, would you work on my behalf? And then when God finally does answer your prayer, it's not at all what you expected God to do. That's happened to me. I've prayed to God like, God, come on. And then I'm like, God, seriously, is this the way you're going to answer this prayer? This is what was going on with Habakkuk. It, it was an answer to prayer, but it, it, it was not the answer that he expected. You see, Judah was a broken nation. It was a nation that had abandoned God. They were led by an evil king doing evil things. And, and so Habakkuk knew that God had to intervene. But when God told Habakkuk that he was going to use these Chaldeans, the, 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 these Babylonians, who were an evil nation, an, a, a more evil nation than Judah were, when God told Habakkuk that he was going to use these people to bring punishment on his own people, Habakkuk was not happy with the answer. He was like, God, how could, how, could you, how could you do this? How could you use Babylon to do this? God, I know that things are bad over here, but how can you use people worse than us to correct us? You know, bring discipline by all means, but not by people who are, who are worse than we are. Habakkuk could not understand how a holy God could do what he was going to do. How, how could God avoid being stained by the sins of Babylon um, by, by giving them this authority, by raising them up, these Chaldeans, giving them this power, orchestrating the invasion of Judah, the destruction of the capital city, Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple. And so when you read Habakkuk, you see Habakkuk kind of gets to God. He, he sh you know the, the shirt fronting. Have you ever heard of that expression? Habakkuk shirt fronts God. He's like, I'm going to take this up with you, man. I'm not happy. And, and so he directly, and, challenge, directly and, and forcefully challenges God for what God said he was going to do. 
And, and uh, we saw this in, in chapter one of Habakkuk last week. If you missed last week, go and listen to the podcast or, or read Habakkuk for yourself. So Habakkuk goes to God. He says, God, I'm not happy with what, with what you're wanting to do over here. And then Habakkuk steps back and he waits for an answer from God. And he knows that only God can, it's only God who's going to answer, answer this issue. Only God can resolve this. He needs divine revelation. Divine revelation is his only hope. And so he says this in verse 1 of, of chapter 2. And we looked at this last week. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand. He talks about a watch post and a rampart. And if you can imagine those old, medi- uh, older than medieval cities and, you know, with the big walls around the, the, the thing. So uh, this is him. He says, I'm going to be on the rampart. I'm going to be on the city wall. I'll be at the watch post. And Habakkuk says, I'm going to keep watch because I, I want to see what he's going to say to me. What is God going to say to me? And what is he going to answer concerning my, plate, my complaint? And so Habakkuk says, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to wait, wait on God. What's God going to say? And God's initial response is this in verses 2 and 3. God answers Habakkuk and he says, he says uh, <clears throat> right, write down what I'm going to tell you. Right? I want you to write it down. I want, you, I want you to make it plain on tablets. Write it down so that a runner may read it. Right? In other words, somebody's going to have to take this and take this message and I want it to be clear. You're going to take this message and the people who may not be here now are going to hear it in time. So it's got to be really clear. And God says, Habakkuk, this, there is still a vision for the appointed time. This is going to go down. It speaks of the end. It, it does not lie. If it seems like it's not coming, if it seems to tarry, wait for it. It's surely going to come. It will not delay. You see, the fulfillment of God's answer was only going to be in the future. And so it needed to be written down so that, the, so that the people and the future generations would know what was coming. God was bringing judgment to the people of Judah. I said last week that we must never forget that God is a God of purpose in all things. He is a sovereign God. So it doesn't matter what happens in your life. You've got to know that God has purpose. But God is also a God of judgment. And very often we look around the world and we go, God, how can this be happening? How can you let this happen? But God is a God of judgment. The scripture tells us that the unrighteous will be judged. Don't forget that if you've given your life to Christ and you've surrendered your life, you are made righteous through the person of Jesus Christ. But judgment will come on this earth. There will be a time of judgment. But more importantly is that there is hope. There is hope because God is a God of hope. And so... I want us to see this this morning. God tells Habakkuk, write this down. The future generations need to know what's coming. And basically what, what the principle is over here is, is God was saying to Habakkuk, Habakkuk, don't think that, that the Babylonians are better than you are. Don't think that the Babylonians are righteous simply because I'm going to use them to achieve my purposes for Judah. I am the sovereign God. I am the sovereign Lord of all people, both the righteous and the unrighteous. And I will use them to accomplish my goals. Now, I'm not going to read the whole of chapter 2 of Habakkuk, but what follows, if you read it, are five woes from God that describe the unrighteousness of Babylon and the judgment that would come upon them. And it's as if God says to Habakkuk, you know what? Don't concern yourself too much. Don't worry about those Babylonians because they're going to get what's coming to them. God says to Habakkuk, he says, those who plunder will be plundered. The shameful will be shamed. The violent will toil in vain. And then God makes an amazing promise in verse 14, and I love these words. He says, and the day is going to come where the earth will be filled 
with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What a great promise. And, and I, I read those words, and, and for me it's a reminder to us as well that one day God is going to intervene. God is going to end the unbelief. God is going to end the violence and the wickedness that we see on the, on the planet right now. And the knowledge of God is going to be known everywhere. That day will come. But it won't be fulfilled until the appearance of Jesus Christ, until he returns, until the end of the age, the close of history. But the knowledge of the glory of the Lord is going to cover the earth like the waters of the sea. But, but God tells Habakkuk here, he says, you know, about these Babylonians, the disgraceful are going to be disgraced. The people who engage in idolatry, he says that they, they're stupid. And then in chapter 3, Habakkuk's still dealing with this. He, he reminds God of what he's done in the past. Habakkuk goes before God and he says, he says to God, you know, remember what you did with Moses. You met Moses on Mount Sinai. He, he describes, you know, what God uh, um, did with Moses when he, when, he, when he encountered him on Mount Sinai. He talks about the plagues in Egypt. He talks about the deliverance of Israel at the Red Sea, how God moved in a mighty way. He's reminding God. He, he reminds God of how he led his people, Israel, in the wilderness and eventually out of the wilderness and into the promised land. He even describes to, Habak uh, to, uh, to God, Habakkuk describes to God, you know, the time when he made the sun stand still with, uh, with Joshua. And, and, and God, whenever, when Habakkuk speaks to God, he's portraying God as this kind of warrior. This, this, this amazing uh, battle commander, you know, who goes and defeats his, his enemies, who delivers his people. It's like Habakkuk says to God, come on, God, if you did it in the past, surely you'd be able to do it again. God, you've done it. I've just told you how many times you've done it. Surely, God, you can turn the situation around. You can, you can bring victory. You can, you can make a way. Save your people. And then in verse 16, we read about Habakkuk's response. Um, to the impending invasion because God's like, this is going to happen. Judgment is going to come. And, and, and Habakkuk kind of gets to grips with it. What's coming down upon Judah with these evil Babylonians. And it's a mixture of both fear and faith. And what's interesting to me is that out of his fear, faith emerges. And, and I want to just say that in, in accordance with what Joe said here this morning around not knowing and the uncertainty. Sometimes we can land up in a situation, it might even be a health situation or a life situation, where you're fearful at the circumstances. And I want to talk to you about Habakkuk over here because God has said he's going to do this and his fear emerges, but out of his fear, faith comes. Faith comes. His fear is described in verse 16. Habakkuk says this, he says, I, I hear I hear what you're going to say, God, but I'm trembling within. My lips quiver at the sound. He says, rottenness enters into my bones and my steps tremble beneath me. This is, I am so fearful of what's going to happen over here. I'm so fearful of what's going to go down. When I, when I read these words, I imagine some of those families that are sitting in Ukraine in a cellar underneath their house or in a train, underground train station, not knowing what bomb's going to hit where not knowing when they get out if their building or their home is still going to be there. Can you imagine the, the palpable fear sitting in those bunkers in Ukraine right now in 2022? This is the picture that I get with Habakkuk. Habakkuk knows that there's going to be an invasion. And he's going, I, I, I'm at a complete loss. 
And then I love these words. It's like he's got to grips with what God's going to do. And he says, I wait quietly for the day of calamity to come upon the people who attack us. I wait quietly for the day of calamity. It's interesting to me that in the silence, in the quiet waiting, his knowledge of God awakens. As he waits upon God, his knowledge of God awakens. It comes up from the inside and it gives him a renewed faith in God that God's got the long story. God's got the long-term view. God will not leave his people. God will not desert his people. He's for his people. Sure, he's going to bring correction. He's going to bring discipline. But he will take care of those who are opposed to God. And so he has this renewed faith. And, and he looks at the situation in verse 17. He says this. He says, he says the, fig, the fig tree, even though it's not going to blossom, there's not going to be fruit on the vines. Uh, the produce of the olive trees, the olive groves, going to fail because of this impending invasion. The, f- the fields will yield no food. The, the flock are going to be cut off from the fold. There's going to be no herd in the stalls. And so when the Babylonians come sweeping into the land of Judah, the ravages of war are going to leave the land desolate. That's what's going to happen. The senseless greed of the invading Babylonians is going to consume everything in their path. They're going to wreak havoc on the whole of society. And I resonate with this because I see those pictures again, of what's going on in that part of the world. And what Habakkuk's talking about here are the elements that are vital to the economy of Judah. He's talking about the fig tree, you know, the, the fruit on the vine, the, the, olive, the olive groves. You know, the, he's talking about the products of the land. This is the economy of the land, the choice products of the land. If you've got no grain in the fields and, and if you've lost all your cattle and sheep, you're not going to have any bread. You're not going to have any milk to drink. You're going to have no meat to eat. No cereals, no, no vegetables, no, no mutton, no wool. Okay. I mean, if we substitute this, and, and again, just think, think of what's going on in the world right now. The price of oil has gone up because of what's happening over there. And, and in Australia, thank, thankfully, we have a government who are responsible enough to say, we'll give back some, some of those taxes and cut that and help with the petrol price. But it's not happening in other parts of the world. price of oil has increased crazily. Um, no gas. People in Europe who are going, are we going to have gas? How's this going to work out with, with, with Russia? There are parts of the world right now who are reliant on the wheat that comes from Ukraine and comes from Russia. And uh, the United Nations agency that deals with, with hunger are saying that there are going to be millions upon millions more people who are going to go to bed hungry because there's no food coming out of the, of the supply. We're seeing the deterioration of the family in, in that part of the world. And this is, what, this is what this is about. Just think about Ukraine for a moment. How would you respond? How would you respond? This is how Habakkuk responds to what's going to happen in verse 18 and 19. He says, can we go there, Torrin? <laughs> he says, despite the fact that all of this stuff's going to be devastated, the economy is going to be devastated, I will rejoice in the Lord. I make a choice to rejoice in the Lord. I will exult in the God of my salvation. God is my strength. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and makes me tread upon the heights. It doesn't matter what's happening. God is for me. God's going to enable me. God's going to come before me. He'll be beside me. This is not Habakkuk 
giving in, like, oh, I've got no control of the situation, I'm just going to have to go with it. This is not Habakkuk saying, well, I'll make the best of a bad situation, nothing can be done. He's not gritting his teeth and saying, well, I'll just make sure that I try and grin and bear it. Habakkuk discovers the secret to joy, even when his instinct is to cry out in grief, cry out in confusion. He discovers the secret to joy. You might even say that the despair and the loss that he knows is coming is driving him towards the enjoyment of God. God's all that he's got left. There's no one else to rely on. There's nothing else to rely on. This is a firm resolve in Habakkuk. It's not a, it's not a grim concession. We're not reading here about the power of positive thinking. This is not some kind of false optimism, what you're reading in Habakkuk over here. This is the secret to spiritual survival. God is my strength. God is my salvation. It does not matter what comes my way. The crops might fail. The market might crash. The, the social fabric of society might unravel. But one thing will never fail, and that is my God. None of this is meant to suggest that Habakkuk has simply closed his eyes to the chaos that's coming or that he's playing like spiritual make-believe. It simply means that he is willing to take the long view in the assurance that God's justice is going to prevail even over these oppressors. Habakkuk rests himself in God. I know who my God is. I know what the outcome is over here. I know the hope that I have in him. And you know, the only way that you and I can take a similar kind of stand in faith like Habakkuk and rest in, 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 in the triumph of God over our situations, over our circumstances, is in view of this fact that God is God and He is my strength. The imagery in verse 19 that he uses of a deer is like, you know, it's, it's like a sure-footed deer on mountainous terrain. Can you imagine a deer? On the, you see some of these wildlife programs with these deer, you know, just like it's like you'd think, I can't even walk there, and they're like, prance, 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 prance. That's, what he's, that's the image over here. And so we too can learn to remind ourselves that the Lord himself is our strength. When I am weak, he is strong. When I am confused, He is in control. When I feel abandoned, He is at my side. When people who I put my hope in and, and thought something was going to happen, when they leave me, God will never leave me. When people betray me, He's the one that I can trust. I've got two practical take-homes for us to think about from Habakkuk this morning. And the first is this. Can you trust God? I think most of us here have been walking with God for some time now. Can you trust God? Can you trust God even when His answer to your prayer is no? Can you trust God, like with Habakkuk over here, when His answer is completely different to the one that you were hoping for? Can you trust God? 
Can you rejoice in the Lord? With everything that you have, can you rejoice in the Lord? When everything that you've depended on has, is gone. Your business, your family, the things that, 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 that you so thought were certain when it's been cut out from beneath you. Can you trust in God? Can you take joy in God when He's all you've got left? Or do the storms of life, does the tumult of life, the turbulence of life, the stuff that comes at us, sometimes we can't even explain. And some people stood here this morning. Who, who, know, who knows? Sometimes with the biological, physical system. You know, that's turbulence. Does that kind of thing lead you to lose your trust in God? Or does it drive you to a deeper dependence on Him? The second is around hearing from God. You know, you might be inclined to wonder, you know, when you read the Bible and you read in Scripture of people like Habakkuk and you think, how, how amazing. These people could speak to God. They would hear from God. You know, God spoke to them. That's never happened to me. <laughs> I speak to God. He's never spoken to me. I've spoken with so many people that, you know, they spend time in prayer and they, and they, and they make requests of God and then they'll come and say, well, God's said nothing. He's not speaking to me. Maybe you haven't cultivated a sensitivity to the voice of the Holy Spirit yet. But I'd encourage you to because God is speaking all the time. But let me tell you something else. You have heard the voice of God. I think it's a reflection of how low our estimation of Scripture has fallen in regard to you know, this being of less value to the audible voice of God. Maybe it's partly due to the fact that God's voice, as it is in the Bible, is always available. And I think all too often in the church today and amongst many, many Christians that I speak to, we don't really take the time to search for that voice and pick this up and spend time in it and, and pray around it. You know, it's right here. It's here every minute of the day. But maybe we've just become bored with it. You know, just take it for granted. Yes, I have a Bible. Don't really read it. <laughs> the audible voice of God is here, written down for you and for me. I mean, I'd love to hear the audible voice of God, like Habakkuk. You know, I'd love to, I'd love to be the recipient of dreams and visions, you know, and, and revelatory words. And, and there have been moments in my life when, when a word has been spoken or somebody said something to me and I've gone, wow, that resonates with me. It's like God's speaking to me over that thing. But you know what? I'm never, ever going to allow my, myself to, to think that I'm a, at a disadvantage to Habakkuk or to any other Old Testament prophet or any New Testament apostle simply because I have the written voice of God in Scripture. I'm at no disadvantage. And so I can rejoice in the Lord no matter what may come. I can rejoice in the Lord no matter what may come because I have encountered the risen Lord. I have encountered the living God. I have heard His voice in Scripture. And I want to tell you something this morning. I can take joy in the God of my salvation because He is my God. He is my strength. And He tells it to me over and over again repeatedly in His Word. My question this morning is, what about you? 
Where are you? Stuff happens in life. Sometimes there's no answers to questions. Sometimes there's no answers to prayers. Sometimes the answer to those prayers are really not what you are hoping for at all. Sometimes, sometimes God's purposes are contrary to yours. And you're going, God, but... And God's saying, I am a sovereign God. Can you trust Him? I'll leave that with you this morning. Amen.